So we're in a series called Saved, and um, we're wrapping up the series this morning, and um, I'm going to be talking about saved, what are we saved for? What are we saved for? It must be saved for a reason, and I'm going to be addressing some of those things. It's not, an, it's not an extensive list. It's just a few things that I think is critical for us to be aware of. So um, before I get into the content, I want to share just something brief. And I, I've, over the last few months, just been enjoying reading and studying um, revivals. Just throughout history, ever since the church was launched, which is a massive revival in the book of Acts, just seeing God do amazing things throughout history, right up to this day, where God's still busy doing amazing things. And um, probably one of the most famous revivalists that that you may even have heard of is a guy named Billy Graham. Billy Graham, okay? So I'm going to jump straight into the end of the story. Billy Graham, by the end of his life, reached over 210 million people. So that's a a few, that's quite a few, if you do the math. (laughs) So they've got a few people. But, but if you listen to a story, you very quickly realize that it's only God who does these things. Okay, so Billy Graham, he realized there was nothing special about him. He was a young man. I mean, he grew up in, in North Carolina on a dairy farm. Um, his family went to church. He grew up in a Christian home. Um, but his mom would say that he went to church reluctantly as a teenager, just like some of your kids <laughs> go reluctantly. But there's still hope. They might be the next Billy Graham. But um, so he wasn't pumped for church, essentially, was the point. And until one day, uh, there was a revival meeting happening in a, at a town near him. And uh, a guy named Mordecai Ham, who was the evangelist revival, revivalist at that stage, came and preached close to where he lived. And, and he was, again, opposed to going to these meetings. But then so many of his friends and family decided to went to these events. And he decided that he was going to go just to go see what's going on. And he was taken by how many people attended this event. Thousands, he said, thousands. And after day one, his, curious was, his curiosity was intrigued, and, and he decided he was going to go again the following day, and then he went again and again and again, and he attended the whole revival. And he says, by, while he was attending, God started speaking to him about the fact that he was, in fact, a sinner, and that he needed salvation. He needed to be saved from his sins. And at the end of this revival, he gave his life to Jesus. And then he began, then he started asking God, like, what am I made for? What's my purpose? And, and he, God essentially said to him, Billy, I need you to come work for me. I need you to come preach the gospel. And um, he shares how he was reluctant. He, had, he realized he, had, he wasn't nothing special about him. He didn't have the right education. He didn't know how to preach and had all these lists of things as to why he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. But eventually he said yes. And he preached all over the place and, and he shares a story about how the he went to go preach at, at, a, at a specific Baptist church and he, and he realized, he says, that morning for the first time that God might have given him a specific gift. He says, because at the end of the service, he made an altar call and 11 people gave their lives to Jesus. He said, something's happening here. And then after, at the end of his life, over 210 million people reached, okay? There was a revival. He got invited to a revival meeting in 1949. Um, at Oregon, um, at, at Portland, Oregon. And this revival was scheduled to be three weeks long, okay? So he would then preach <laughs> every day for three weeks. Yeah, so, so who said sure? Was that Janice? So Janice preaches often, and so she knows why that's significant. If you're a preacher, if there's any preachers in the house, you know why that is amazing, okay? Just for us to preach one sermon on a Sunday, and also, that's not the only time we work, okay? <laughs> Just say, that's what you think. But just to preach one sermon on a Sunday takes a significant amount of effort to time and preparation and praying and studying and making sure you don't mess up, even though we often do. But one, one sermon every day for three weeks. Then got extended to four weeks and then five weeks and then eight weeks. 
his, his revival extended. This was when God sort of released him into this magnificent ministry. And by the end of that week, he spoke to over 350,000 people. Sorry, after the eight weeks. So here's what I'm saying. Here's why I'm telling you the story. So he was saved from his sins. But he was also saved for something significant. He was saved for a reason. God saved him to do his work in his kingdom here on earth. So three things I want to touch on today. So the first thing I want to speak about is the fact that we were saved for eternity, okay? So we just need to speak about that. We get saved from our sins so we don't get separated from God for all eternity. So we're saved for heaven. That's good. That's a powerful message because if if you're living in constant suffering, the hope of this message is there's going to be a time at the end of this age or end of my life, at least, that I'm no longer going to be living in suffering. I'm no longer going to be living in poverty. I'm no longer going to be sick. I'm no longer going to be in broken relationships. I'm going to be in perfect unity with God. So that's, that's amazing. Very hopeful, okay? So if you're sitting here today, if you're saved, that's what's coming, heaven. But we're not only saved for heaven. I know I've got another hundred years left or so. <laughs> you can see how fit I look, that's why. I was, I was much smaller when I arrived here. I just want to say that. But, but uh, for the next hundred years of my life here on earth, it can't, I can't just be waiting for heaven one day. Being saved is not only about heaven one day. Being saved is also about heaven today. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is ultimately saying, let's not wait one day to die to bring heaven down. Let's start bringing paradise now and bring restoration here on earth now. So he speaks about John 10 verse 10. Jesus says, now the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I come to give you life and life to the full. Some translations say to give you an abundant life. Now abundance doesn't necessarily mean that all of us here today are gonna become multimillionaires. It might mean that. (laughs) No, amens, okay, fine. If God wants that for you, amazing, all right? But that's not necessarily what that means. I do, however, believe that God is our provider. His name is Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means my provider. So I do believe that God wants to bring, you want to provide for you. I do believe God wants to bring restoration in your relationship. So we can experience this abundant life here on earth. Essentially, God's kingdom here on earth as it, as it is in heaven. While we're talking about eternal life, so when, I, when we read the word hell in our Bible, there's four words that get translated into hell, okay? So four different words with four different meanings, four different places, essentially. We just read the word hell, for example, okay? So first one I wanna touch on is, is referenced in 2 Peter 2 verse four. It's a place called Tartarus, Tartarus. So Tartarus, just so you know, is a place reserved for demons, fallen angels, until judgment day. So that's where they are. That's reserved for them. That's where they're gonna go. Then there's two other words that mean the same meaning. It means the same thing as a Greek word, which is Hades, and then Shehul, which is a Hebrew word, and both of those words translated means grave, okay? So when we read the word hell, sometimes it says Shehul, but what it means is grave, you're gonna die. But then Jesus gives us a glimpse into what Hades potentially could look like. So he shares a story about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. And it's a simple story, you might know this story. Simply, Lazarus was a poor guy, he was a beggar, he didn't have anything, and while he was here on earth, He was begging outside a rich man's house. And then scripture says that this guy did nothing to help Lazarus. 
They both died. One went to Hades. Other one went to paradise. Um, Lazarus went to paradise and he was in Abraham's bosom. Then the story goes that the rich man was, because he didn't repent, let me just say that real quick before I forget to say it. He's sitting in Hades and he's looking. He can actually physically see Abraham and Lazarus. And he says, can you send Lazarus, listen, listen, listen to this guy's attitude, can you send this guy as a servant to me who's, who was a rich man to come give me some water? Anyway, can you send him? Abraham says, no, not happening. Then he says, okay, well, can you at least send them back to earth to go speak to my parents and my friends and my family so they can hear about this place, so they don't come here? Then Abraham says, no. Your friends and family have the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Testament, is Afrikaans for and also the Old (laughs) You try preaching Afrikaans in English, it's chaos. Constant things happening in my mind. That's why I talk so fast, by the way trying to figure out what's happening. Wheels are spinning quick. <laughs> Abraham says, no, your family has Moses and the prophets. They must listen to Moses and listen to the prophets and repent. Then they won't come here, bottom line. Another place called Hades, speaks about eternity. Then often we read a word, when we read the word hell, there's a place called Gehenna. Gehenna, Okay. So we, when we read the word hell, we could very easily confuse it with Tartarus or Sheol or Hades. But sometimes it's just Gehenna. Now Gehenna was literally the town dump. Where all the rubbish went. Gehenna. So when we read the word hell, we're reading Gehenna, which means town dump. Now I don't know if you've ever been to a dump. It's a dump. What Jesus is saying is you can create for yourself hate, um, Gehenna here on earth. Well, the choices you make or don't make, you could create for yourself hell here on earth. You could experience the same sort of dump life that you see in the edges of the town, outskirts, right now in your own personal life. Sometimes it doesn't, it happens to us. We don't get a choice. For example, scriptures, right throughout scripture we see this happening. So a lady struggling with, with bleeding, for example. She was experiencing Gehenna here on earth. It was hell for her. It wasn't her choice. And then Jesus shows up and he says, I want to give you heaven right now. I want to bring my kingdom down to earth as it is in heaven. Then he heals her. So she experiences God's kingdom in a certain way. There's another guy named Matthew. Also experienced Gehenna in his life, hell in his life. So Matthew was a tax collector, but Matthew was also a Jewish boy. So he now doesn't, so, so he's essentially offending all of his people by going to work as a tax collector for the Romans, who were essentially their enemies. And he steals from his own people, so his own people hate him. And because he's a Jewish boy, the Romans look at him and despise him because he's Jewish. So this man is being hated by his own family, he's being hated by the world, he's, everybody hates him. Now I don't know why he chose to be a tax collector. Maybe it was fulfilling. It wasn't, it was a joke. <laughs> well, we know it wasn't. He was hated, okay? Maybe it was for money, I don't know. But he chose to be in that position. We know that wasn't a traditional job for someone like him. He chose this for his own life. The question I have for you is, where are you experiencing Gehenna in your own life right now? Just think about it for a moment. What Gehenna or hell are you creating for yourself here on earth right now? I need to stop moaning about not being able to do a proper setup. 
Like if you've got a beach ball under your shirt, that's because <laughs> you're creating Gehenna. It's very, let me tell you, it's hard to do a sit-up nowadays. I'm going to get there. Dr. Ash, I'm going to start eating healthy. I'm making commitment publicly. I might be choosing to be ridiculous to my wife, who's here this morning, by the way. It's a choice I'm making. So now we experience Gehenna in home because of a choice. Might be that I'm experiencing Gehenna in my finances for whatever reason. But what zones in your life are you creating your own Gehenna? And I'm surrendering, I'm throwing this, this out to you because we could potentially repent, which just means to turn away from that decision and turn towards Christ. Salvation is there for you, for sure, but why would you want to experience Gehenna now? Where do you need to turn back to Christ? So we were saved for eternity. We were saved to go to heaven, but we're also saved to bring heaven here. Okay, next point. We're also saved for relationship with the creator of the universe. Now, can I just say, I've heard that comment thrown out in church so many times that I've become numb to the power of that comment. That truth, probably the most powerful truth out of all these other truths I'm gonna be sharing, that we get to have relationship with God. Mankind was separated from God through Adam and Eve's sin. We also sin in our own nature, so we're separated from God. So we need to be saved from our sin to be reunited with God, right? But relationship is so powerful. Let me, let me quickly slow this down a bit and, and share with you my experience with this truth. So I got saved, first of all, by someone scaring me into submission, just telling me, listen, you're gonna burn, bro. I'm like, I don't wanna burn. I want the paradise thing, easy. Right? Just, can I just quickly say, it worked for me, for many people it doesn't work. And the story of the gospel is a love story. It's not a hate story, okay? So God loves you. Better approach is God loves you rather than the other stuff, other than the God hates you. That's not the truth about the gospel. The truth is God loves you. Anyway, so we save for relationships. So here's my thing. So now I get, get saved. Then people tell me, I get to have relationship with God. Now, can I just say, I've been in full-time ministry for about 15 years I've probably been saved for between 18 and 20 years, somewhere around there. Um, I've only recently figured out what relationship with God means. Up until recently, it was a one-way thing. I'd be like, Lord Jesus, I love you. That should have been cricket sounds. No response, and then, then it's amazing, and then you'd have these theologians, I was one of those, would say, just read God's word, because God speaks to you through his word, and I know that. I used to teach that, I went to that class in Bible college. God speaks through his word, and he has spoken. But we also know it's not only a Logos word, Logos means a written word. We can get historical knowledge about God by reading scriptures. Non-believers can read scripture and get historical knowledge about God. I'm talking about a rhema word, where God makes alive, gives you a fresh word when I read scripture. That's amazing, that happens. But if my Bible was gone, I was saying to God, I was just speaking to him, not hearing anything in return. If, God, if my Bible was gone, apparently I get to still have relationship with you, which apparently means if I say something, you should say something. You're not that. That's not what I experienced in my relationship. Silence, right? We should be saying something back and I'm not hearing you. I'll picture this for a moment. I want you to think quickly, the most important person in the world for you, who do you think is the most important person? out of all of history, and someone says you can get to have coffee with them. It's an amazing moment. And scripture says you can have coffee with the king of kings and the lord of lords. And then we don't make time to have coffee with them. And in my experience, I do make time and then 
insert cricket sound, is what it felt like. And I was like, Lord, I feel like you're absent. And as I started leaning into figuring out why can't I hear God's voice, why aren't you speaking, Lord, I heard him say, I am. I am. I am speaking. You need to learn how to listen. And the more time I spent with God, I started learning how to listen. And, and he speaks to me differently, guaranteed, than he speaks to some of you. And that's amazing because I'm different. The way I deal with Lincoln, who's sitting over here, who makes me sweat like this when I just look at him all the time, I'm quite amazed. I think he's even laughing. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit's holding him there. The Holy Spirit's his mom in this moment. <laughs> but I deal with him differently to my other children, but relationship is what God, what God wants with you. Are you experiencing relationship with the creator of the universe? The single biggest revelation. For me, what, what makes Christianity stand out about every other religion is that God doesn't want to smite you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Not only does he not want to smite you, he doesn't have this list of rules and regulations and things we need to do to get to him. It's simple. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Receive him as your savior. Then you get fellowship with me. Let me tell you, having fellowship with the creator of the universe is mind-blowing, life-altering. You're missing out if you're not encountering that. I'm gonna read a few passages to you quick. I'm gonna start again with my last passage, Revelation 3, verse 20. It says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm standing and knocking at the door. I'm knocking, I've been knocking since the day you were born. Will you open for me? I'm knocking, will you open for me? I wanna come in, will you open for me? I wanna talk to you, will you open for me? And you've been saying no for so long, but he keeps knocking. These words, by the way, are eternal. Can I read it to you again? I've heard people say sometimes he stops knocking. Never heard, never seen that verse. Here I am. I stand the door of your heart and I knock. Can you see God's heart in this, in this verse? I want you just to look at God's heart. There's so many verses I could have used. He desires intimately to engage with you. Listen to Jeremiah 33 verse three. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. What does he say we need to do? The, again, again, the opposite of that. Call out to me. Call out to me. Call out to me. Listen to this next verse. This is even more powerful for me anyway. Isaiah 50, 64 verse 24. Before they call, I answer. While they are still speaking, I hear. So you're thinking about calling out. You're gonna call out. And Jesus says, before you call, I answer. Now this is powerful. And I must be honest, I believe this to be not true in my life. Even as a Christian, as a pastor, I believed this for a long time to not be true. Because I call and then no answer, and then I call and then no answer, and then I call and then no answer, yes. And it's so frustrating, Lord. And then I discovered a beautiful story about a guy named Daniel. So he went on this fast. He ate no choice foods for three weeks, 21 days. Just ate vegetables, apparently. And he was seeking God for breakthrough. He had a specific prayer, he was praying. And it's amazing. So after the 21 day fast, an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Daniel, God heard your prayer on day one. Let's pause there real quick. God heard your prayer on day one. 
Now it's three weeks later. But the verse is, if you call, I'll answer. Now let me tell you, there's some areas in my life where I've been calling out, and this is, let me tell you, slightly longer than three weeks, and I'm not hearing an answer. And I'd, become to, I'd come to believe that God doesn't want to answer. And then the angel of the Lord says to Daniel, God heard you, but I, God sent me to come do this thing, to execute strategically, but the prince of Persia detained me. Speaking about a principality, the prince, a demonic force over a region of Persia, detained me. So God sends me, he was detained, then eventually there was breakthrough apparently, and then he was able to answer what God sent him to do. Now here's the point I'm making. Delay does not mean God is saying no. So you've been calling out and God's saying I'm answering. Delay does not mean God is saying no. It might be as simple as there's no breakthrough yet. It might be as simple as God's saying wait. But delay does not mean God is saying no. So we saved for relationship. And lastly, I want to say this. We saved for mission. We saved for mission. So I want to tell you a quick story about a guy named Peter. So Peter, you all, if you're a Christian, you, you might know a guy named Peter. He was one of the disciples, one of the apostles. And Jesus has just spent tons of time praying and seeking his heavenly father to show him who to select for his team. Eventually, he rocks up at a beach. And Peter and Andrew are busy fishing. They were brothers. And um, so Jesus, they spent the whole night fishing. And they came back to shore with not one fish in their nets. Quite disappointing. No money that night. So Jesus shows up and he says to them, listen, why don't you, so he's saying to professional fishermen here, <laughs> why don't you throw your nets on the other side? So I'm imagining Peter because I'm putting myself in this story. Right? So who, who's this man that's just showing up here, first of all? Trying to tell me what to do. I'm a professional. I've been doing this. This is the family trade. I can hear a hint of sarcasm when Peter says these words. He says, Lord, we've been fishing the whole night and we've caught nothing. But because you say so, we'll do it. So you know the story. They throw the net in. They catch so much fish that both the boats get filled up and almost sinks because of the blessing of the Lord. So God brings heaven into that moment. It's powerful. Then Jesus says these words to them. Follow me. Now those words are so significant in this culture because Jesus was a rabbi. Now to become a rabbi, you'd study almost your whole life. Okay? Every single Jewish boy would be trained up to become a Jewish rabbi. Then at some point, if you don't make the cut, they tell you. By age 10, you should be, age 10-ish, you should be able to have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. All of the words. Memorized. Verbatim. <laughs> if you get one word wrong, you don't make the cut. So then they come to you and you say, 10-year-old boy, you're not good enough. You've been disqualified. Go back and learn your family trade. Thanks, Mr. Rabbi. I'm not crushed at all right now. And then they would go back and learn their family trade because they weren't qualified. And then they would do the same, go through this process, go through this process, and eventually by age 30, when you made it to that point, they would have a final one, and they'd say, listen, you need to be able to do this. You can or you can't. Then you, well done, you can follow me. Then your rabbi would come to you and say to you, yes, you're qualified, follow me. You're qualified now, follow me. Or they would say to you, at age 30, you'd committed almost my age, almost 30. <laughs> Jokes, I'm older than 30. I'm closer to 40. Studied your whole life 
to someone who came to you and say, nope, you're out. Not good enough. Go home. This is all you've known. Go home and learn your family trade. Yes, okay. Here's Peter and Andrew, who are Jewish boys. who were trained up to become rabbis. All they know is that they are not good enough, that they've been disqualified, and that's why they're doing the family trade. See, here comes Jesus in his full gear as a rabbi, and he says to them, follow me. Now, for a Jewish boy to hear those words, powerful. And they recognized what was happening. They were recognizing that this rabbi was calling them to follow him, and to follow Christ means to literally walk in his footsteps. They would literally follow their rabbis around wherever he went. If he, if he bowed, they would bow. If he burned some candles, they would burn candles. But ultimately, they would try to follow so closely that the dust, they walk on, the streets were dusty, that the dust of the rabbi would be kicked up and cover them. And if you were covered in the dust of your rabbi, it would be, significant, it would be, it would be considered extre- an extreme blessing. So that would be the goal. So you walk as close to your rabbi as you can. So Peter, Jesus says, follow me. And these two respond with, I'm giving up the family trade. God has just recognized something in me, and I'm going to follow him. Matthew 4, verse 19, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, make you fishers of men. So then these guys start following Jesus, and, and their ministries become significant. So for example, Peter, Jesus just preached to thousands of people. He fed them fish and bread, and thousands of people got fed with two fish and five loaves, and you know the story? The disciples go on a boat and cross over to the other side, Jesus comes, on, comes to them later, but he walks on water. Peter sees his rabbi walking on water, and he knows Jesus said what to him? Follow me. So if the rabbi's walking in water, Peter knows that I can ask my rabbi to follow him, and then he basically says, Jesus, can I follow you and walk on water as well? And he does. He's like, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. You know the story. He walks on water, came afraid, and he looked at the storm, he sank, and Jesus pulled him out. Right? But he followed Jesus so closely. And you see these magnificent things happening in their ministry. Then Jesus gets captured in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Peter again, because he's so close to his rabbi, so protective over his rabbi. His heart is completely connected to the heart of Jesus. Pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear. He wouldn't listen. Lincoln, watch out, bro. If you're watching online, Lincoln is my son. He's sitting right here, but he's listening. No swords needed. Cop cop chops off his guys. Yeah. Jesus says, no, no. It's not what we do. Follow me, Peter. And he picks up this guy's ear and he heals him. He basically says to him, follow me in the way. Follow me in the way. That's how we respond. We're going to chop people's ears off. And Jesus gets taken away. Now listen to what happens here. Jesus gets taken away. Matthew 26, 58. Peter, again Peter. Remember Jesus said, follow me. He came in Matthew 4. Matthew 26, much later in this chapter. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down at the guards, with the guards, to see the outcome. Now let's pause there. So Peter used to follow how close? Very close. Ultimately, so much so that he could walk on water along with Jesus. At this point, Peter follows at a distance. He starts following Jesus at a distance. And you see significant things happening when he follows at a distance. Later on, someone comes to him and says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He goes, no. Mm-mm. This is the guy who walked on water, by the way. The guy who saw his fish, his boat get so filled by miraculous miracle of Jesus that it almost sank. He says, nope, 
Not me, you've got the wrong person. I'm sure you're one of Jesus' disciples now. Not me, you must, I, I look like other people often. People mistake me someone for, sometimes for famous, famous people. Not him. Doppelganger, maybe. A third time, I'm sure, definitely. You're the oak who walked on water. Check, here's a newspaper article. Check this photo, you even got a selfie. No, three times he denies Christ. This happens when he starts following at a distance. And as he follows at a distance, look what happens next. He entered and sat down. (laughs) He entered and sat down. Jesus says, follow me and walk with me, move with me, do as I do. Do not spectate. We don't just attend the meeting, eat our popcorn and go home. That's a spectator sport. That's just going to the movies. That's not what I'm calling you for. I'm calling you to follow me. Let my dust cover you. Peter follows at a distance and then he sits down. Watch what happens next. And then he watches to see the outcome. He watches to see the outcome. Third point I mentioned, we saved for mission. We saved for a mission. We get saved and plugged into the kingdom of God. We get to function within the kingdom of God as citizens of the kingdom of God. We get to enjoy the financial structures of the kingdom of God. We get to enjoy the defense force of the kingdom of God, for example. We get to enjoy his rule and reign in the kingdom of God. But as citizens, we have an obligation to step into the will and purpose of God for our lives and not to follow at a distance or to sit down and watch for the outcome. Follow me is what Jesus is saying. Are you covered in your rabbi's dust? So Jesus wants to reveal his heart for humanity. Because John 3.16 was massive, but he wants to keep going with this, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in would not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus comes to earth to give people eternal life, powerful stuff. Then Jesus continues to teach around the same thing, the the very nature of my being and purpose of me here is for this. Then he shares stories and he says to them, listen, I'm gonna tell you a story about a shepherd. The shepherd had a hundred sheep. One of them goes missing and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. The shepherd is Christ, by the way. Shepherd represents Christ, better language. So what does the shepherd do with the 99? He leaves them. That to me sounds super risky. Like if you, if you just quanti- if you just monetize this thing, like how much is a sheep worth now? Is it 10K? I don't know. So I'm leaving 90,000 there to go find 10 grand that I've lost. Like that's how my mind works. Right? And I'm losing. Why would I do that? It's risky. Jesus says, he's lost. I will go and find him. Follow me in this. And then he says, if you miss that revelation, I'm gonna give it to you again in a different way. He's, then he shares a story about a lost coin. So there's this lady in her household, had multiple, um, what, what's, what's Ayan Dorman in English? I'm blanking here. What's the Afrikaans mean? Can I let you land scene? Property possessions. Her house is full of possessions. Full of possessions. She loses a single coin. And then Jesus says, she sweeps the whole house and turns over everything to find the lost coin. So finding a lost coin in today's terms is not so powerful. Like if I lose a one rand and I see Lincoln with a one rand coin, I'm like, bro, give me the coin. Don't swallow it. You will certainly die. 
But if you lost a Kruger Rand, for example, that's a different story. So there's a tremendous value, tremendous value in this one lost coin. So much so that the lady would give everything to go and find the one lost coin. Then Jesus says, if you miss that, if you miss that, if you're dumb like Jacques, I'm gonna say this to you again in a third powerful way. He tells a story about a, a father who had two sons. The one son comes to the dad and he says, look dad, um, Jewish boy, I know you've got an inheritance for me, but um, taking long to die. Like, I can't wait any longer. Can I please have my inheritance now? The father goes, yes. And he gives him his wealth and he goes and he squanders it, lives a sinful life and eventually comes back home. And the scripture says, the father saw him from a distance, this lost son, and ran up to him and embraced him. Lost, left everything behind the younger brother was so annoyed that the father ran up, embraced him, gave him a ring, gave him some clothes, and had a party because of the return of the lost son. Then Jesus says, follow me. Guys, we were saved for mission. Jesus runs after the 19, leaves the 99 to go find the one. Then he says, go find the lost sheep. Follow me as I go and find the lost sheep. If you don't know what your mission is, if you don't know what your calling is, at the very least, start with the great commission as Jesus goes and finds the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son, he's saying, follow me. Please don't sit somewhere and look at a distance at the outcome. Follow me in doing this. It's called you for a mission and a purpose. So I'm gonna wrap up this message and I'm gonna pray. I'll ask the band to come up for us. And, um, so I'm gonna pray through several things and um, I want you to, to really listen to the spirit of the Lord this morning. So the first person, can I ask you to all stand real quick? So the first person I'm gonna be praying for is um, you're sitting here today and you don't know if you're actually saved or if you're gonna spend eternity with God. You don't know. You don't know. You've been separated from God. You're recognizing because the spirit of God is stirring in you that you're sinful because of Adam's sin. You're being separated from God because of your unbelief. But right now you desire deeply to surrender your life to Jesus. You wanna to go to heaven one day. You wanna... Make right with God. If that's you, I wanna pray for you, okay? And normally what I would do is I'd ask everybody to close their eyes, but can I tell you, this is the single biggest decision you could ever make in your life. Bigger than the car you're gonna drive one day, the house you're gonna live in, or even the partner you're gonna get married to. This is the single biggest decision you could ever make in your life that deals with your eternal status. If you want to give your life to Jesus now, be reconciled with your Heavenly Father, please put your hand up. We would love to pray with you. Just right now, wherever you are. Thank you. Is there anyone else this side now? God, I don't, I don't want to miss anyone, so if there's anyone here, can I just see your hand? Is there anyone in the middle block? Any hand this side? Thank you, thank you. What just happened was, Two people who were going to be separated from God forever are now going to spend eternity with God because of this moment. Yes. 
Scripture says that the whole of heaven is raging with the praise party right now when one soul returns to Jesus. So we can all pray together right now. Is that okay? Is that okay? So we're going to help our brothers and sisters who just gave their lives to Jesus. We're all, all going to say this prayer together. Is that cool? Let's all pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe with my heart that you were crucified, that your blood was spilt for my sins, and that you were buried. I believe, Jesus, that you were raised from the dead. I now surrender my life to you. Cleanse me, God. Remove my sins as far as the east is from the west. I pray, Holy Spirit, come dwell in me. Guide me. Teach me. Transform me into the image of Christ. Help me to follow my Savior so close that I get covered in his dust. Help me to never follow at a distance or to sit down spectating, waiting and watching for an outcome. I wanna be part of God's kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I'm gonna pray for someone in the room this morning who says, Jacques, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, but I, just like you, am struggling to have relationship with God. I don't know what intimacy with my Savior looks like. Currently, it looks like goosebumps on a Sunday morning, if I'm lucky. I don't have any further connection with God, but I know I'm connected, but I cannot hear the voice of God. I want to have deeper, meaningful relationships with Him. If that's you, why don't you quickly put your hand up? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Lots of hands, lots of hands all over the place. Is there anyone else? Yes, lots of hands going up. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. All over the house. Thank you gonna pray with you guys. So Heavenly Father, um, thank you that you are the one stirring and speaking to us right now. The very desire to have deeper relationship with you is your voice speaking to us right now. Father, and as your children grapple with the fact that they cannot hear your voice clearly or the fact that you might not be speaking, May they hear these words. I am speaking. I am speaking, says the Lord. And Lord, whatever's preventing us from hearing, would you please remove that? Whether it's in the flesh, Lord, we're just struggling with sin and temptation. You'd forgiven us and we praise you for that. And, but these strongholds are just such a burden for me and I can't break free and I can't hear you because I'm constantly living in guilt and shame. Please, Spirit of the Lord, convict them now that you have forgiven them and remove their sins as far as the east is from the west. They need not run from you any longer, but run to you because they are broken. No longer need they hide from you like Adam and Eve did. But they can embrace you with their brokenness right now. And thank you as they approach you, Lord. May they recognize that you are holy. And thank you, Spirit of God, who dwells in them, that you are transforming them into the likeness of Christ. But open their spiritual ears to hear you. Open their eyes to see you. And may from this day, may they hear from you so clearly that they, without a shadow of a doubt, know that I'm speaking to Jesus and he's speaking to me. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. And lastly, I wanna pray for, for two people. I'm gonna wrap it up. First one is someone who doesn't know what their mission is. You were saved for a purpose, okay? 
You've got to know this. You were saved for a purpose. God had a plan and purpose for you. And if you don't know what that is, you're missing out on the most exhilarating adventure of your life. And you want to discover what your mission is. I'm going to pray for you. Okay? Then I'm going to pray for someone who knows what their mission is. You've experienced the power of God. You've been walking on water. You had the doubt and Jesus pulled you up and, and you've been seeing God moving in powerful ways. But since you've been following at a distance, you felt the urge to sit down and spectate for a bit. And maybe that break was good for a season. But may I suggest that that season is over, that God wants to use you wherever you are. Wherever you are. So I'm gonna pray for both of you at the same time. If you don't know what your mission is, please put your hands up. And if you know what your mission is, but you've been following at a distance, please put your hands up. We're gonna pray for a fresh touch and revival in your spirit right now. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, I see so many hands going up, thank you. Lord, you see the surrender in our spirits right now. We surrender completely to you. We surrender our flesh, because flesh is an enmity with the spirit. We no longer will move in the flesh, but in the spirit. And as you are moving now in the spirit and stirring in our hearts, that we need to discover our purpose and be contributing members and citizens of your kingdom. That's you speaking to us right now. Please make it clear to every single one of your children today why you made them, what their purpose is, and anoint them. It's not a skills in the flesh thing. Just so you know, it's not a skills in the flesh. You might not have the skills, but the anointing of the Lord will empower you to do whatever He wants you to do. So just say yes. Billy Graham didn't have the skills. He was just anointed. And then God can give the glory. And for those, Lord, who've been following at a distance, their desire, Lord, is to no longer follow at a distance anymore. We no longer choose to sit and spectate to see the outcome. We want to experience fire and revival in our spirits now to do what you have called us to do, to step into the purpose that you've you made for us, you set aside for us. Pray that you'd release them, stir afresh inside of them a passion for your name and your kingdom and your purpose. In Jesus' name.